1: everyone, it's Raghu, back with Mind Rolling. And uh, happy to introduce this wonderful podcast I did with Neil Allen. He just put a book together called Shapes of Truth. And we had a wonderful discussion on all sorts of different topics, uh, compassion and uh, dealing with stuff, suffering and how he's just so honest in this book. Uh, it's uh, really, really great uh, to be able to be with somebody who has that kind of humility. And uh, we talked about steadfastness and the need to grow up. And that's a whole other thing. And what else did we talk about? Discrimination, which I talk about all the time. Viveka is incredibly uh, important, especially, I think, for people on the uh, bhakti path. That's why we were given so much uh, direction without any direction uh, to get into Buddhism through Vipassana meditation and some of the Tibetan practices. Some of us became close to many different uh, Tibetan lamas and His Holiness the Dalai Lama himself. So yeah, Viveka is a very discrimination, very important. So yeah, Neil and I had a really good time. I always have a good time. when I, I, I've met Neil before. He's married to Annie Lamont, Anne Lamont, and I've done a lot of stuff with her, and we've spent time together, and the, they just got married a couple of years ago. And so it was a real joy. That's all i got to say. It was a real joy, and I think uh, you'll appreciate it. And I want to just say before uh, we play the uh, podcast that I did with uh, Neil... Uh, we have a wonderful new partner named BetterHelp and that's uh, uh, betterhelp.com and they are an online therapy platform. And as difficult it is, as it is these days to even get to see a therapist uh, in any relatively, you know, like, hey, I got a problem now, I can't wait a half a year to get an appointment with you. So uh, these people at BetterHelp have really done the right thing and they match you uh, based on conversation or um, forms that are filled out with a licensed professional therapist and it's uh, in a safe and private uh, environment. And here's the big thing. I love, uh, this is great copy for the, for the sponsor commercial <laughs> without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room again. I don't ever want to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room again. I just did it today, actually, uh, not therapy, but for a doctor. And so, the, and some of these doctors, they are providing service, uh, you know, either through phone call or Zoom or something. So things are changing. But this BetterHelp—they put it together right. So, and this is worldwide. It's affordable. It's convenient. It's. Uh, Everything uh, one would want to be able to sit and, and talk uh, uh, through the stress all of us are having in one way or the other these days. Uh, and as a listener, you're going to get 10% off the first month, but you got to go to betterhelp.com slash mindrolling. And then you'll get that 10% and try it out. It's worth it, uh, again, given the proclivities of life as it is right now. So, this, um, this episode, as I said, is with Neil Allen. And I will be back next week on Mind Rolling. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com, and there's Mind Rolling. There's Ramdas here and now. There's Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, Joseph Goldstein, all of our old, old friends, and many, many, many more, including the new Alan Watts stuff we got going. We shall see you next week. Namaste. Hi, everyone. Raghu, I'm back. It is Raghu here with uh, Neil Allen. is a relatively new friend, but as time goes on, he's starting to be an old friend <laughs> because we haven't yeah, seen each too. other, obviously, in the pandemic. And Neil, welcome, welcome.
0: Hi. Hi, Raghu. I, I, so people, let's get this out of the way. I, I met Raghu through my wife, the author Anne Lamott, who That's somehow right. got absorbed despite her Jesus-y background into <laughs> the Ram Dass community as a, as a fellow traveler. And uh, oddly enough, I, I had more of the experience with um, Eastern religion mm-hmm. than she did. And yeah. so I've been happily absorbed, also.
1: Oh, that's great! And as I told her uh, from the get-go, as far as Christ is concerned, I when I went to India and first met Neem Karoli Baba, that was the first thing he talked about. So it wasn't about all the Hindu gods and goddesses. It was, I mean, except for Hanuman. He said Hanuman and Christ are the same, right? Service to he, mankind, love, unconditionality.
0: So, and I believe he I believe he also scolded you guys for traveling so far to a distant land and distant religion rather than rather than just sticking around with good old Jesus.
1: No. Never nope. happened at oh. all. He <laughs> never did anything like that. Well, there was nothing rational going on in terms mm. of the way he related with us or anybody. But no, he never said that, ever, ever. Uh, You know what he said, though? He would say, there would be a bunch of Indian devotees around and us. And the translator, he'd tell the translator to tell us what he's saying to them, which was these people came all the way from America because of uh, wanting spirituality, however he said that. Uh You people, all you want is material bullshit okay i'm going to give them the keys to the universe you get nothing (laughs) that's what he said so all right well i'd love to hear a little bit about how and this is my uh, uh, central opening for a new guest anyhow on the podcast and and I always, what are the triggers that uh, brought you to the place where you realize, geez, what they've been feeding us here, uh, society, family, all of it, yeah. is um, maybe not real. It's not the thing and it's not going to make me happy. And, you know, what are, what are those uh, events and triggers and just um, causes and conditions that yeah. created you now.
0: Yeah, there was a, there was a, there were a few very distinct um, episodes that happened uh, quite clearly to me. I had been an atheist and a rationalist, happy, not disappointed by life. Didn't find myself particularly yearning for purpose or greater meaning. I was pretty content. Uh, and then I read, um, at the urging of a, a very wise man named Bob Birnbaum, I read uh, uh, A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Oh, yeah. And he he let me know that I was suffering much more than I had noticed. And that in in very, very plain language, he he really presented a fairly neo-Buddhist view of the world without any of the jargon, without any of the sense that he was talking about anything that wasn't already familiar to me or that I had to learn something or learn a new vocabulary or whatever. And Mm. all that happened was I went, holy cow, I suffer. Um, And that kind of sat with me and I wondered, you know, this, this feels different. I don't know quite what to do about it. Um, it seems intriguing, but I'm perfectly fine in the rationalist world and maybe just everybody suffers and that's fine. Well, soon after that, by just complete chance, uh, a friend of mine invited me to sit with Adyashanti. Oh. And um, for those of you who... N- no Adyashanti, you already know that his purpose in the world is to awaken people to the possibility of awakening. He's a fire starter. Mm. And that's what he did, d- does. And that's what he did for me. I was sitting in my first ever... Well, first in 40 years, I think I would meditated once with Allen Ginsberg in college, right? <laughs> um, but since then, I had never done any meditation, never sat in a room with my eyes closed, surrounded by other people, which is a very weird thing to do, right? Well, the first hundred times you do it, and it's uncomfortable and strange and uh, not thrilling at all, uh, but something thrilling happened. I had uh, a miraculous experience, and it was a very mundane, miraculous experience of uh, believing that uh, Adyashanti had been scanning the room while our, our eyes were all closed, and that he had come to me, and he had pulled my soul out of me, looked at it, and then returned it to me. And I don't believe that actually happened. I don't believe shanti actually did that. But at the time, I knew it had happened. And at the time, I knew a miracle had been performed. And at the time, I also knew that the symbolism of the miracle, there were symbols in it. It was like a gray, smoky dragon breath, my, my soul. So it couldn't have, my soul's not gray, Dragon breath, but there was there was some some I knew that the symbolism of whatever the vision that accompanied the miracle was was of trivial importance that the only thing that was important was that a miracle had been performed, which told me that there was a supernatural that I didn't know anything about, and mm. that wow. uh, might be interesting to be be uh, explored. And that just set me off. Uh, into an exploration the the I think of it this way that that the first noble truth all life is suffering came to me from Eckhart Tolle Um, the second noble truth um, the cause of suffering is attachment had come to me I guess I left this out from Bob Birnbaum we were actually doing identity clearing work so I knew something about it before. The third noble truth was Adyashanti, saying, there is a way. And then the fourth noble truth, I stumbled through Bob Birnbaum and his wife Evelyn. I stumbled into uh, this uh, mystery school called Diamond Heart that the Hamid Ali, um, mm uh, creates through his explorations. And he's known to some of the listeners as by his pen name, he, he writes voluminously and frequently, um, uh, under the name A.H. Almas. Yeah. So that, that took me in. And then I spent, oh, off and on, I think I spent about six out of the next 10 years, uh, in twice a year retreats, eight day retreats with, um, Hamid and other uh, teachers who he had trained in the same explorations.
1: Oh, and I never knew this till I got the book. Oh, by the way, uh, there's a, Neil has a wonderful new book, it's fairly new Shapes of Truth uh, Discover God Inside of You. And I just, I did not know of your familiar, not just familiarity, but your a deep involvement with uh, the diamond uh, method, yeah. which I don't know much about, so I'd love to, love to have you elucidate a little bit on that. But uh, there was, uh, of course, we have a friend who was one of Ramdas's uh, caretakers, uh, who now is, uh, the only reason I know of the diamond uh, uh, effect is through, uh, through him, and he uh, is now with Hamid and his, his wife in Berkeley. So it's, it's kind of part of the family in a funny kind of way. Yeah. But
0: um, yeah, maybe. You, you, you also know Jack Cornfield, who has considered Hamid a teacher of his for 35 years.
1: Mm. And Jack's never, never did I hear him ever mention the, the Diamond Path way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just have not come really close to it and uh, so this was a little bit of a, a nice reveal and why don't you just how about talking a little bit about the central idea of this teaching
0: yeah Di- Diamond heart is uh, is a brainchild it is a it is a, a result of um, a very Curious and, and um, uh, explorer, this guy Hamid Ali, who uh, encountered, you know, sometime 40, 45 years ago, encountered presence in, in the way a lot of us encounter presence. That suddenly after doing some meditation for a while or after chanting for a while or whatever, there's a noticing of a kind of smooth field and there's something oddly satisfying about the field. And for a lot of us, that's our first kind of glimpse of uh, a feeling called uh, being in the moment or being present that doesn't seem to uh, have very many needs or desires in it. And he was, instead of just kind of abiding in presence and trying to extend it and trying to... um, continue in it in the way that he had met it. He actually went intentionally into it with a couple of friends, and they wanted to explore whether there were mechanics to it, whether there was uh, a way of uh, knowing how it happens, how to appreciate it. They were basically saying, I don't believe that there is an ineffable out there. Mm. I think even this mysterious thing called presence probably – does something, has something, comes from somewhere in a, in a very familiar way um, and exists in a particular way that can be explored. And so he started exploring it. The more he explored it, the more he noticed that what got in the way of his being able to explore it was um, his um, defensive system. And he had done some psychological work. He had done some work with, um, oh, I think Claudio Nenoronjo. Oh, yeah. So he had some Hmm. Gurdjieffian training and some Enneagram training. And so all of that kind of put him in the mood that, you know, modern psychology, contemporary psychology has a – belongs within uh, a faith system and belongs within a system of – of uh, discovering a, a deeper reality. Eventually, through uh, a kind of dialectic method with his two partners, and then finally, later, one partner, of uh, just exploring what is, he became a guy who he's kind of, I look at him as the William James of spirituality, where William James described the varieties of religious experience. Yeah. Um, Hamid, in his books and his explorations, is cataloging in great detail the experiences of spirituality. And he's finding cognates in his experiences with things that can be found in Buddhism and in Vedanta work and in Shaivism and in shamanism. And he goes in all these different places, very, you know, extremely eclectic. But what he keeps coming back down to is uh, a necessity to keep an eye on and to find ways to remove the obstacles of the ego, which are our defenses. And so not only is he studying spiritual methods and seeing what they're about, but he's also studying basic contemporary psychology. And he kind of settled on object relations theory and uh, a standard um, view uh, in the kind of the standard model of contemporary psychology of looking at the development of the ego. And he noticed things in object relations theory that look kind of like a series of shields being, uh, being brought up by people as they develop from birth through, you know, 10 years old, 12 years old. And he, started playing around with it and found ways to deconstruct the shields in reverse order so that you could go back in your, as if you're, as if you're devolving back to that kind of pure dual, dual unity that you came out of and then see whether you can live as a mature person. Mm. So he, he, uh, he, he does something that uh, eliminates the possibility of spiritual bypass uh, it forces people to uh, work closely with their um, inner psychological demons. And most of that work opens most of the illuminated world.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that so, image, though the shield image.
0: Yeah.
1: It's uh, like dominoes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's very mechanical. Pop one of them, and sh-
0: sh- 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 yeah. I love that image. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, well, I tend to think that he's very efficient. At in the end, his program I really benefited from it, and I watch other people benefit benefit from it. That it provides a very concrete, efficient way to. Uh, remove the obstacles of the ego and he uses his 5,000 at any one time he's got 5,000 or so um, followers who are involved in this progressive method and uh, he watches those groups and they're his guinea pigs to see what actually Mm. works to get the obstacles of the ego out of the way and let the light in.
1: Can you can you give an example of something that he would suggest into a, a you know a concrete disputaation yeah <laughs> ob um,
0: so the first thing that happens is that you have to get used to the fact that you're going to be tortured and so whatever is bugging you right now you know my kids don't appreciate me right? or my boss is a jerk, or I'm just no good at uh, math, or whatever it is that's been bugging you for the last couple of days, some little pesky thing, go look at it. And go just look at it over and over and over and over and over again, and don't avoid it, and torture yourself with it. And at the end of torturing yourself with it, maybe it'll move out of the way a little bit. And that's kind of what, what, what you do over and over again. So uh, I start, I, so I, I do a kind of uh, offshoot from Diamond Heart. I'm not a Diamond Heart teacher. I'm not, I'm not in the mystery school anymore. I just picked up some mechanical notions mm. from it. Yeah. But I start every one of my sessions with a client by d- asking a series of three questions over and over again. So I ask one question for five minutes over and over again. So I'll do it with you and show people what it's like. Tell me something, first of all, that's been bugging you lately. Who, me?
1: Nothing. I'm just clear all the time. Okay, what's been bugging me lately? God, you know, it's a long list. But um, let's start with probably the top thing that's been has been a, a thorn in the s- saddle, so to speak, is um, you know, recently being informed one has to move <laughs> from the property that uh, we, I, and we are on. And that has created uh, a lot of anxi- anxiety around the pandemic, around what's going on in this particular area, around real estate, you know, so that very uh, survival kind of a deal has come up not I'm not concerned that though obviously I will be taken care of uh, by virtue of uh, I have enough trust in the universe for the knowing the right thing will happen but that low level kind of anxiety because it's not quite there yet and you know you're just pondering uh, its weight in terms of wow that's still yeah. Is going to be confronting
0: me after all these years of spiritual work? You know, all that. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, we won't do it for the full five minutes, but I'll ask you for a minute. Mm. Um, uh, Tell me a way you um, wish for stability in your life.
1: Well, stability to me is only one thing.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Tell me a way you wish for <laughs> stability in your life
1: to be even more aligned with that me that is not uh, that is beyond the desire and attachment realm. Thank to you. To be aligned behind that.
0: Thank you. Tell me a way you desire stability in your life. And you can go back in your life to your childhood, or you can be talking about your being disrupted by this move or anything. Tell me a way you desire stability in your life.
1: That uh, What's important to me for stability is... Uh, To continue the kind of work that I have been doing for many, many, many years. And at the same time, to release the attachment to that identity.
0: Thank you. Tell me a way you desire stability in your life. To... uh,
1: Transform the neurotic tendencies and habitual patterns that were created, especially around a chi- as a child.
0: Thank you. Tell a me the way you desire stability.
1: Well, I honestly, I cannot. Uh, if I get those things, Neil. I would be, as they say in, in the, at the high holidays uh, for Jewish people, um, that would have been sufficient. <laughs> I can't yeah. think of anything else that would create stability that I believe in, shall we say. Like I'm not find, saying what
0: do you believe in. Tell me a way you desire stability. Well,
1: I mean, that means anything to me. It has to be a thing that I really believe would help uh, make my life more stable and um for instance, one thing I don't believe is that more money, more material, anything, is going to make my life. So, I, yeah, that's... Okay.
0: So, that's how I start. I ask, mm. and it's a repeating question, then the, I ask a second question, what's right about stability, which allows the person to hear the motivating desire for stability, right? If that's the issue, right? Or if the issue is... Uh, control, or the issue is being seen, or the issue is being right. I'll I'll get those motivating voices out into the air. And those two questions, by um, focusing on them for, you know, 10 minutes, um, you're focusing on what's bugging you for 10 minutes. And most people don't focus on what's bugging them for more than 20 seconds, right? You either want to fix it, deny it, or avoid it. You're not going to focus on it. And uh, you're going to find a way to uh, move into a preferable state of being to the one of of noticing that you're suffering. So, essentially, all Hamid ever does is put right in front of my face my suffering.
1: The torture part, though, is a little chi. Remember you said...
0: The, the central, central thing
1: is torture.
0: It is torture. It's torture at first, um, until ultimately um, it becomes kind of fun to oh I got that room to clean up. I thought I had cleaned that room up two years ago. It's got a, there's a corner that needs to be swept out. Great. If I if I torture myself, it'll get swept out and that won't be afflicting me. But I next guess I just months. can't
1: I can't. I don't jive with the word torture related to the kind of uh, spiritual work that we're talking about. It puts a tone and a color to it that's, um, yeah, I can't get there. I think that, uh, I mean, I personally prefer the Buddhist, uh, which a lot of this is completely aligned with, and that much I know, Uh, But, you know, just around mindfulness. So the actions that you take, you are developing enough awareness so that you can see the motivations behind the things that are causing this deep suffering. And uh, I guess we're talking about the same thing, but using the the word, you're relentless maybe. Relentlessly you are going to have that in front of your face till you really get to some kind of truth about your motivations?
0: Yeah, because the motivations are the illusion, right? We think the illusion is the suffering. We think the illusion is the attachment, right? The motivation is the illusion. The motivation is a voice in our head that belittles us, right? Freud called it the superego. Most people call it the inner critic. It's what establishes our defensive systems that get in the way of accepting the world as it is. And it is torture to spend time with that belittling voice, right? That belittling voice is snarky, it's mean, and if I keep it invisible and keep it out of the way, I'm going to uh, keep it strong. But if I bring it out to the surface, it's like a vampire. It'll disintegrate all on its own. In the end, most of what um, I learned from diamond approach, I think, was that all I have to do is spend all my time in the screwed up defenses that that I have established for myself. And simply by spending my time watching them in operation and questioning their assumptions and motivations, all the good stuff will show up. I don't have to point myself ever to the good stuff. I don't have to point myself to nirvana. I don't have to fake it till I make it. I don't have to do anything except remove my defensive systems. And nirvana just pours in. <laughs>
1: True, all true. That's the beauty of all these right all these paths they really they lead to the same exact place, just whatever your predilection is and that's yeah. about it right
0: Yeah I'm kind of a I mean I'm odd to be in a um, I'm probably as far removed from a bhakti kind of person as you'll meet right I have zero sense of devotional practice. Um, I love kirtan. I love being around devotional sittings. I love all of it. I'm not saying I, I I don't appreciate or love it or feel it or 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 care that it exists in the world. It just isn't doesn't happen to be my path. My path is this torture. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, it's funny. Be, isn't there it? should be a. You could get, where should, you, there should be a URL associated? Neil yeah. Allen yeah. slash torture. Yeah, I bet you will get a big following.
0: <laughs> you know, no. What's funny I'm, about it is, I I call it torture, and I tell all my clients, I torture you, right? And <laughs> none of them, so far, has said, "Wow, I didn't like that," <laughs> right? Okay. None of them. Good. So whatever kind of torture it is, it. It seems to come with, a, with, the, with the built into it. It turns out we're really good at looking at our own suffering. We don't think we are. You know, think about what most conversation is. It's complaining. Most people are complaining all day <laughs> long, right? Why do they do that? Because when you release yeah. the complaint, the thing that you're complaining about yeah. disappears for a moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy. Especially as you age.
0: That oh is, God, the physical complaints. So,
1: oh, oh actually when we were when we were we were kids in India in our early twenties, all that was going on was this complaining about health. Okay? <laughs> because we were in a in India where, you know, we weren't used to the bugs and stuff that they had over there, so they got us good. Oh boy.
0: It isolates you into your your cot and your head, you know. So I can see how, as a 20-year-old, I could have benefited from being sick a little more often. I wouldn't have been able to go out and enjoy the sensual world quite as much, Mm -hmm. get quite as attached to it.
1: Yeah, we managed, (laughs) let me tell you. We managed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, you know, I was thinking about the miracle. And you said... I don't believe that, and by the way, everybody, I talk about Adya from time to time, Shanti, He's he's a great teacher, and uh, I had a chat with him, and I, I, Jesus, I, this is my favorite story in the whole world as he grew up wondering what in the hell was going on with the people around him. He was a little kid, you know, he couldn't understand, you know, they're getting wasted, they're angry, they're they're laughing with a, you know, whatever. It was all crazy to him. And he finally figured it out when he was 10, 11, 12 or something. And he looked at them and he got it. He, oh, my God, they believe their thoughts. That's what's <laughs> going on. He told me that. And that led him to meditation. Yeah. And he did that for 10 years. like I as a youngster, yeah. teenager, until he got to the point where nothing was happening. So he quit. And when he quit, he had some real space opened up to him and he became who he is. Um, so he yeah. also,
0: he also sat in a cafe every day and wrote about what, what the illusion of reality looked like to him. And mm. it, through that, he did a lot of his emotional psychological work mm. day after day, after day, after day. So you can, you know, I think um, the guy who writes as, um, Jed McKenna. Do you know those books? No, crazy books. They're very funny. It's a, uh, he wrote a book called "Spiritual Enlightenment: The Damnedest Thing." He's he kind of skewers uh, a lot of. He's kind of sarcastic and skewers a lot of spiritual um, uh, practices, or as they're talked about and exhibited, and and uh, uh, but seems to be the real thing. He, he, yeah. He, What's he, his name? Again, well, he calls himself Jed McKenna. He's very, very careful to conceal who he oh, is. Really? He has no desire to be get out on in a the podcast, world. Uh? yeah. No, <laughs> it's too bad. I think actually people have traced him to your old stomping grounds, North Carolina. I think, oh,
1: really? Somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> get out. But Detectives. Yeah,
0: yeah there, are, there are people who do that, but but um, uh,
1: sounds like he in a way it's a, it's it's a great thing that busts spiritual yeah.
0: bypass, right? It it, t- it totally busts spiritual bypass, but his method was like audius. He calls it autolytic writing. It's just kind of pouring out among other things your grievances, right? And as you start to do that, the um, the assumptions that s- you start to see the repetitive, circular assumptions. You know, oh, I don't have enough friends. Why don't I yeah. have enough friends? I need more friends. Why do I need more friends? Because you need more friends, right? Yeah. And everybody's got that, right? No matter yeah. how many friends they have, they need one more or something, right? And or uh, one more
1: something, yeah, for one for more sure. something. But yeah. who's
0: telling them that? Well, it turns out we've got a little inner critic voice in it, in us, that tells us that. It's very useful for the species to be very, very productive and expand into new niches and grow in population. But it's not very useful for um, enjoying the commonality of being uh, beautiful, compassionate beings living in a difficult and absurdly complicated world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hey, let's talk. Actually, you have a great story. Um, It's in your chapter on compassion. Uh, where you went back to school to learn Sanskrit. You want to tell that story? It's uh, yeah. it's very honest of you to get reveal it all. Talk about you got into the torture thing there for sure.
0: Yeah, I did. Do you mind if I read it? It's I'm no. Okay, mm. I'll read. I'll read it. Um, um, our first year of marriage was pretty easygoing. Annie and I met late in life, and each of us had built up some skills in curing or bypassing a lot of the usual conflicts. Put another way, life had beaten us down enough that we knew not to provoke another lashing. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's not that money and jealousy were no longer treacherous, but a little eye rolling behind the other person's back was sufficient to get through the day. When the pandemic showed up, we adjusted pretty quickly and blessed ourselves for already having such routine, boring lives. And then I made the mistake of going back to school. It wasn't just the Sanskrit; the other classes too quickly wore me down. Is this the chapter you want me to write about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the story
1: where you get into your own self-criticism big time and
0: the habitual
1: pattern. Got it.
0: The problem was that I didn't know how to shut up, and all the classes were seminars. No lectures, just open discussions where anyone, especially me, could poke their nose in. Never invite a congenital know-it-all to an open conversation. After every class, I turned off the Zoom feed and limped from my office to the living room, where Annie would look up cheerfully and ask, talk too much? Sometimes I muttered back, I hate myself. I just stared at my kind wife, slack-jawed, while my mind played back the Grateful Dead lyric, please don't dominate the rap, Jack, when you got nothing new to say, (laughs) over and over. I tried the usual cures, pre-class admonishments to speak no more than four times, file cards on which I ticked off each time I spoke, nine was the fewest, more than two times my self-imposed quota, under-the-breath self-thrashings. I started waking up in the middle of the night, upset at myself. Finally, I asked Annie for help. Her response? Tell me more. She didn't offer a cure or an explanation. She left all that to me. She did ask me questions and encouraged me to talk about it. Slowly, I started to uncover, again, both the genesis of my narcissism, which has something to do with being brought up in a know-it-all household, And the triggering aspects of being back in school, where I'm to be judged and graded on my intelligence. I disliked thinking about this even more than I disliked beats. But Annie didn't let go. Tell me more, she said, day after day. And eventually, simply by revealing my suffering to Annie, and therefore to myself, I didn't hate myself like I was the pariah student. I moderately disliked myself like I was beats. That was enough. I could even feel sorry for myself. And while my overtalking continued to be fixed the following semester, perhaps, my self-loathing released itself into the ether. What Annie had shown me and what with her tutelage I started to feel for myself is the aspect of God known as compassion mm. Mm.
1: i love this i mean we all have that story it's just a yeah. got a different color and a and different theme maybe but uh, to me that's the essence of uh, everything That uh, to begin with we have to begin with that compassion for ourselves or we have no chance of having it for anybody else and uh And it's a work in progress, so it doesn't mean you stop relating in any way or stop doing activities or stop going to school or whatever it is that triggers you. You have to realize that you are working, and this allows you to continue that work, even though it's a bit of what you would call torture.
0: Yeah, yeah, the the flip side of torture is I've been reading some Dogen lately, so oh, yeah. it's central to that. Zen Buddhism yeah. that the practice is the attainment. Yeah, there there, yeah. there is never not practice, because there's always a shiny object, and no matter what assumptions I've disrupted and removed from myself, so I won't get attached in one way. Another way to be attached will pop up, and for sure, I get to either go, oh, not that again, or, oh, cool, I I get to do this again, right? Mm. I get mm-hmm. to do it again. I get mm. to do it again. I get to move past detachment again. Mm. Yeah, sure, maybe there are times to move past detachment and stay put in not a state of being, but in some kind of freewheeling liberty, right? And then attachment will return. Yeah.
1: Good perspective. And by the way, here, I just want to read this little thing from around uh, your, something that I just completely am at one with you on. Compassion is the love that arises in the presence of suffering. Compassion isn't manufactured. It arises all on its own. I'm not compassionate in the sense that it isn't something I do. It's more like a place where I find myself living. I find myself in the presence of compassion or in the house of compassion.
0: God, so, it just sends a that's
1: well said. chill,
0: but it, but it sends a chill up my spine every time I notice it, right? Yeah. We are so lucky to live in a field of love. Could, we, the world's rigged to love, to things like compassion and passion and, and giggly friendship, right? That's the way the world is rigged. It didn't have to be rigged that way. But if I remove my uh, (laughs) dumb defenses and get them out of the way, all that's left is love. And I get to live in this world. Mm. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, the central thing, and what Hamid, as you described it very generally, but... uh, I think everybody has a good idea of how he suggests uh, dealing with uh, obscurations. Basically, yeah. just removing those shadows one by one, and uh, as that ha- well, it's the old story of the onion skin. Right? You yeah. Keep peeling yeah. it, and uh, again, all all different kinds of metaphors for the same thing, uh, but. At the core, there has to be compassion because if you're sitting around torturing yourself uh, and thinking of uh, being any kind of masochistic attachment, there uh, you are done. There's no way. So
0: you know that's a there's a that's a good point. Compassion is the field that you end up in, but it also can be an objectified uh, notion. That you can bring to bear on your work, so that the 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 difficult work of moving through your defenses of the torture of it, you can have compassion as a, a kind of complement that allows you to, and strength too. Those two can help you along um, in a in a kind of very utilitarian fashion. And that's what the book is called Shapes of Truth. It's about these kind of utilitarian objects that represent the ultimate aspects of God that can appear in your body. And usually they appear in that utilitarian way to, to either remind you that you're, you're not the person you think you are who has to, who, who has the, uh, disappointments that you think you have or who has the uh, uh, need for achievements that you think you have you're 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 simpler than that and you're more glorious than that mm. and each one of these little symbolic objects which are actually kind of universal and can be found inside people which is the stunning discovery I think of, that Hamid made um, each one of them, can be seen both as an ultimate field of God and a way of looking at an ultimate field of God that I might be part of or might not be part of, depending on how I look at it. And it can be a little tiny gem or stone or, or, uh, or uh, you know, just just some kind of symbolic uh, talisman to help you through a particular Difficulty, a particular kind of difficulty. Now, there's only 35 of these things, um, and one way to think about it is that my emotional defenses develop 35 different rooms, mm. and each of them needs its own little uh, kind of work. So I have a room for my mom issues, and I have a room for my dad issues, and I have a room for my guilt, and I have a room for my hatred, and I have it, right? And there are different kinds of issues, but all of us have all of them, right? We just have our own flavor of which ones are stronger or weaker in yes. this. We all have these issues. We all have the same issues. Everybody is defending themselves from the exact same crap. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that's just funny. And so the, the, the metaphor I, I found useful was I use one of these objects and one of these aspects of God and one of these shapes that, that, are, that, are, that can be evoked in myself uh, as part of focusing on a particular room of um, illusion that is a defensive system in my life. And delusion and defenses go hand in hand. And I'm just trying to clear out the clutter in that room and I get to focus on that room this week. And then mm. next week my boss is a martinet becomes the room I have to focus on.
1: Yeah I mean, it's ex- you know how uh, Ramdas used to I mean, we're talking about imagination here, I think, mm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. And we're setting up these rooms in our imagination and we're placing, Different themes and go back to them, and they're all there and just waiting to be dealt with and or tortured by uh, whatever. And uh, he he had a thing about using imagination to connect with uh, our guru, Neem Karoli Baba. And he used to. And you've been at the retreats. So I'm sure you've heard him say, it. Uh, "Yes, I have a room." It's my imagination room and I go into that room and I talk to my guru and people think I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. And uh, in reality that begins in my imagination and ends up in that what he would call the core loving awareness place. And uh, Mm -hmm. so I think it's useful actually, this just points to me it's useful to use these, and I love what all of what you're suggesting and, and this practice of uh, Hamid and uh, that you're really dealing with the psychological stuff a lot of the, the spiritual bypass really uh, feels like, okay we don't need to deal with that, we have transcended that, and you know that that's a, a huge ass problem uh, for many people in spirituality uh, the way I have seen it. And so the dealing with it is the dealing with the psychological parts of yourself. And so this is a, a wonderful way. Get these rooms in order, get them lined up. And it's good to work with somebody who has an idea uh, uh, and can guide an idea about each of these themes, has gone through it themselves and can guide one through it, similarly that you would guide somebody through a psychedelic trip, basically.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 These are... That's an interesting metaphor, yeah. I did... I mean, I did uh, psychedelics without guides, right? So mm-hmm. I did Me too. You know, you know? And so I don't know that much about um, using guidance. But the one thing about this is that throughout there's always an assumption that I have that you have the answers for yourself and that your answers are inside you just the way my answers are inside me and I get away with that in a in a substantial way with my clients because of the universality of this of these um, shapes that Hamid discovered, so that I I can be as generic as I, as is possible in how, the kinds of things that I ask my clients during the portion in which we're doing um, the the shapes work, and uh, they will evoke ultimately these 35 objects. Mm. And about 10 of them, just about everybody eventually evokes. Others are more uh, subtle or less uh, annoying, less prominent parts of our defensive system. So if I've got 35 rooms, 10 of them are the... American culture rooms. Right? <laughs> 25 of them are... They're the our kind rooms. Of, yeah, yes. yeah. And everybody in this culture worries that they're not productive enough. You know? Yeah, right. There's a right? top, But there are yeah. cultures where that might be room 25.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, That's the interesting part of it all. Oh, and uh, I didn't finish what I was going to say about the miracle with Adyashanti. Uh-huh. And when you said, now, do I believe that he came in and examined my soul etc etc no not really but at the other hand on the other hand i do believe it happened and my experience uh, my own personal experience around the same kind of a thing um, is very much well first of all i had had my mind shut down by a being that was beyond duality so there was no way you could start thinking back on yourself like that so that was one helpful thing to say the least. And, and the other thing was just the realization absolutely the universe is taking care of each one of us through I do believe everyone has a guide deep inside them uh, or not so deep inside them or that they connect with in a physical way in a lifetime is rare but possible as happened to, to some of us. And at the same time there is, it's irrefutable that this happened to you, the fact that whatever his involvement with the universe is way beyond our pay grade, Adyashanti, uh, but it's real. It's absolutely as real as uh, the glasses on yours and my face is right now.
0: And Somehow I needed that, right? That's the curious thing. Because I was an atheist, because I was a rationalist, because I had kind of uh, demonized... uh, um not inappropriately the what I had heard about the supernatural and what I had yeah. detected about it, it it was absolutely necessary for it to have the sensation of being as real as my uh probably illusory sensation that this desk and table yeah. and TV right. are real <laughs> yeah, yeah. right yeah.
1: yeah yeah no absolutely and you know what I, Uh, Also referencing Ramdas here, but and this, uh, you talk about a little bit about power in in the book, and uh, I and and using it in in a little bit of a different reference than the one I'm making right now. But Ramdas used to say uh, that when he came back from India the first time he was blown away by the power of such a being to know everything about him and know what was going to happen in the future, you know, and, and physical, other physical miracles that he experienced and, and we, by the way, all of us, this happened and we all did the same thing as you did, I, I guess I needed that or somehow, I needed that because of just so deeply embedded in rationalism maybe, I don't know. Um, everybody gets that. Some inep- it could be just an you know just an, an acid trip that has that ineffable quality to it for a few minutes. Does that? And he said, "But the thing is, I was completely enamored of the of the power through the miracles. But later, I came to understand really what it was all about was the love."
0: Yeah. 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 Well, Ram Das embodied that in a way that's very unusual, you know, the, the, uh, and, and so strikingly, um, material, his love that, mm-hmm. you, that being mm-hmm. in his presence in those last years was a way of, uh, noticing the possibility that pure love could, uh, negotiate uh, the difficulty of the world um, without uh, pause, and could could be sustained, you know, and could be uh, enough to carry on relationships, to carry on um, activities, and we we generally don't believe that, right? We we, we have to toughen up. We have to yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I don't. I've I've sat with a number of um, people who are described in the world as spiritual masters over the, year, the last ten or fifteen years. I was late to to the table, but I've tried to make up for it. Right, and mm-hmm. the ones who uh, seem to touch me, I notice, are inevitably kind. Mm. And the second thing is, and I think this is more uh, uh, just astonishing, They're, they seem to be both impossible to offend <laughs> and right close to me. Mm. And to whoever's talking to them, whoever's around, mm. they seem to be enjoying themselves and and. Nothing that that person could say or do would offend them, and yeah. I think that's that's those are good signs that somebody is um, has moved out of their defensive posture. Yeah,
1: yeah, into the love. Best, yeah, into love. But the best sign is
0: shit. Maybe we have a chance. <laughs>
1: that's the best <laughs> sign, right? They're humans, you know. Yeah. So. Um, and I, uh, just before we go, we're getting towards the end. But uh, just when I I said this whole thing from Ramdas, you realized it was all about love, and uh, and you have a nice section in the book around that as well that I really appreciated, and talking about the transactional nature of love that. We uh, have that hammered into us. Yeah, Yeah. that is to me talking about all the different rooms to deal with. Yeah, the transactional love room is is there, (gasps) right?
0: Five rooms. Yeah,
1: five rooms. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and and oh, and I love. We could have the what do you call it? Pink fluffy love room. We could have that. (laughs) Which is well, hammered in, especially to young yeah. women. You know?
0: Yeah. It's yeah.
1: unbelievable.
0: Unbelievable. I think the most embarrassing thing in life that I've run into from this, this uh, practice or my um, moving into a little more freedom is um, to discover that my default uh, appearance of love in the world is goofy and silly and just uh, a kid on a bike you know mm-hmm. and that if 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 i had to find a core self who was relating to the world in his most uh, natural and default way it's probably a little kid Mm. Just goofy and seamless and careless and unpatterned, but goofy. And that's embarrassing, right? I'm supposed to be a mature human being. <laughs> Wait a minute. Christ
1: did say, unless you were a little yeah. guy, a little child, yeah. right? See the world that way, there's going yeah. to be a, an issue. So yeah. it's um, funny
0: if beginner mind includes goofiness, mm. right? Includes what? Goofiness. Goofiness.
1: (laughs) (laughs) My favorite Disney guy is Goofy. Goofy (laughs) on sports. I love him. (laughs) Oh, boy. And by the way, the other thing I wanted to mention is I had your wife on... We've done a number of podcasts and so on and done some good, fun stuff together and it's been a delight all these years. But the last time was uh, this last book that she put out and in it was quite um, outstandingly humorous encounters with her husband and going through the whole thing of getting to know someone and getting used to somebody and finding all of those lovely little triggers Mm. and it Everybody, else, what's the name of the book? I can't remember right Dust
0: now. Dusk, night, dawn.
1: Dusk, night, dawn. Okay. Alongside of, we're going to have uh, shapes of truth in the show notes, so you can find it easily. And uh, we're going to have dusk, night, and dawn you could uh, you do talk about, you know, how you met Annie and how you know some of the permutations, shall we say? It,
0: well, it, Annie Annie actually wrote the foreword in my yes. book and it's a beautiful it's one of her it's a, for you know obvious reasons it's one of my favorite essays by her but it's a beautiful essay about our first date. Mm. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is mm. great. It is mm. great. And uh, you guys since you know I spent time with you together God is good. That's all I can say, right? (laughs) That you found each other. It's really wonderful.
0: It's pretty surprising. Yeah. Yeah. uh, If she hears this, she'll get a kick out of my bringing it up. When she met me, I was toying with renunciation. And she said, I don't want a guy holding out a cup. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's verboten. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I said,
0: okay, I guess that won't go. I I guess I'll stay in the material world. (laughs)
1: a little longer a little longer uh well listen you know uh, the story that you told about dealing with this past pattern of uh of uh, making yourself heard um in the way that she worked with you as a partner that to me is what it's all about it, it is. It's, it's not, uh, that is no longer, there's no transactional anything. Just that's just right. someone offering themselves in the way that, that that's how it should be in a relationship, in my eyes. Not that I've been the most <laughs> successful myself, but I've learned a lot, and I, and I feel like you expressed that, uh, and she expressed it through that whole process.
0: Yeah, I'm lucky.
1: Yeah. Hey, great to have you here, Neil great to see to chat, you like, it's been yeah. too
0: long and yeah. it actually it's it's great to know you in a deeper way right? yeah so that's what dialectic then. being able to talk about these sorts of things is you know how uh, if you talk about tripping you start to feel yourself tripping yeah. the body rushes show yeah, yeah. up but it's it's true with anything spiritual right yeah. those body rushes are your life force after all and so yeah. your life force shows up because you're talking about your life force right yeah. and so it becomes amplified, and the same thing is true with any uh, um, you know interesting fascinating any fascination with what's beyond the the immediate familiar world mm. i get to I get to just be feel turned on,
1: yep. I'm I'm with you, which is why this particular job is is so great. I, I, it happens every time I, I do a podcast. It's worth every inch of it all.
0: Well, it better.
1: really is. And as Annie would tell us in Sunday school, Christ said, "Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am." And is that is so darn true? I mean, it yeah. is absolute truth. It's what our gathering, satsang, sangha, community, whatever. And as Thich Han said, the next Buddha is the sangha. Mm.
0: Nice.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you again.
0: Thank
1: and uh, we we'll, And we'll, we'll have to do this more time. We should do something with the, both of you uh, and go through... A, we'll do a... Um, well maybe we shouldn't but I thought what a wonderful thing going a little bit about relationships and how to navigate that and the successes and the failures that we should do I just thought Yeah, as
0: long as you're prepared for for, you know watching a nasty combat yeah
1: torture torture <laughs> torture oh <laughs> uh, again thank you this is uh, mind rolling on be here now network go to beherenownnetwork.com and catch all the fantastic uh, podcasts that we have up there these days and again neil thank you and thanks for shapes of truth and we'll connect everybody up with that namaste